the Luria Awards bringing together creatives from across the continent to celebrate the best in advertising. I'm really proud of the kind of work we've seen in 2019 bookmarks. This is about recognizing digital work. Award goes to the IAB Benchmarking of Digital Excellence Series. And the winner is... How to Win. Now, I think it was an incredibly thorough process. That's the way it feels. A podcast hosted by Nick Hammond and Johan Schweller. Welcome to the podcast. In this episode, myself and Johan look back at the Lurie Awards 2019. We'll look at what work stood out this year, what were some of the biggest trends, and what can be learned going forward. Our two guests joining us in this episode are Jackie Mulaney, the ECD at VML South Africa, and Vele Ngubane, co-founder and group MD at Avatar. Both of these highly successful industry experts were judges in the digital communication category. And as always, a massive thank you to Mark One for sponsoring the series. Mark One has been making sense of technology-driven digital marketing before most. Having spent a decade in digital, they understand that innovation and collaboration are important, but so is the person taking in the ad. By understanding the values of a consumer to an individual level, brands are more capable of accurately communicating with their audience. They are known for using their innovation within digital, but it is their use of insightful data that truly empowers their clients to connect them with the end user. Mark One, digital marketing for humans. Check them out at markone.co.za. All right, let's get to the podcast. The IAP Benchmarking of Digital Excellence Series. How to win. As an icebreaker question, you guys put a lot of work and effort into the Luries. We, uh, in the previous podcast, caught up with the judges on day one of the judging. Now that everything is done, dusted, and said and finished, this is the advertising industry. How did you feel on Sunday after the after party, Bailey? <laughs> well, I've perfected the art of uh, sneaking away. Uh, and, and it's now a proven science that people don't realize you're gone until like after three hours. Right. So <laughs> going to the toilet and actually just... Going away is, is, is my is my solution. I'm I'm way too old for the party now. <laughs> and you, Jackie? Um, I felt all sorts, all sorts. I felt like death mainly, though. Um, like a week of partying, and I, I love my tequila. So um, I'm pretty much I'm I'm sure I'm embalmed in tequila. Well, I guess I you guys I'm, were there for a whole week. So. Yeah, a whole yeah. week, a whole week. You know, in the last podcast that we did, we kind of started off by looking back at the theme because it, themes matter, especially in the advertising industry. And it, it was to tell better stories. And we were only on day one of the judging. So we couldn't get too much of a sense of whether or not we feel like that mandate was was adequately handled. Do you think that it was, Jackie? I mean, did we tell better stories this year? Yeah, I mean, there were some really beautiful stories that came to life. And it was just interesting to see how how the creatives brought it to life. Like there was that shape to remember, which was such a beautiful story that came to life in, in content and film. To even like City Lodge's mm. radio, what was it? Um, the <laughs> You have the list. <laughs> on the list. It was a, the City Lodge audio campaign and that was amazing I was just speaking to to human behavior um, and that in itself is storytelling I mean we're humans that's what it's all about what I found interesting is is, is that storytelling which was good but story sharing you know there was a master class about how we create shareable stories <clears throat> so just telling the story is one stage of it but is the story shareable which I think in our category proved that would the person hearing the story want to share the stories which I found interesting yeah, yeah it goes beyond impressions yeah, and yeah. yeah I mean is that something you actively look for when you're judging it to go how shareable is it and how shareable was it I think I do. Uh, we know in the brand space that we're in, we're all fighting for attention. 
So, uh, and people have got so much content, especially in the digital space, uh, hitting them all the time. So if, if, if the action is to share, that means your content is engaged and has an opportunity to engage with further more people. So that's something that is, is, is starting to be a big thing for brands, not only telling the story, but is it worth sharing to other people to say, oh, this is very cool. And it's like moving beyond the impressions. Because, yeah. I mean, whenever you see impressions and you see a big number, you think, oh, great they had a good media budget. But when you see like engagement and people actually organically sharing and and celebrating campaigns, that's exciting. That means it's relevant. It's resonating with with the audience, which is... So so would you say that potentially in your case study, what you should do is you should go, this is the the media reach, but here's the organic reach as a proof point. Definitely. That's, I think, uh, uh, in my years of judging the Luris, that's always been the argument. Is it the budget or is it the idea? You know, and I think... More so, uh, we have to distill that because sometimes it's just a lot of budget and sometimes just the power of the idea takes it that much further. So distinguishing that is very, very important because you can throw a lot of money at something that's pretty average and it kind of can get the numbers. I mean, to that point, do you think that generally speaking, we are using the right metrics, the Luris? Are there any that you think are overemphasized in particular? Hmm. No, I mean... There's varied results, and I, I always love the sweeping statement at the end, which is the best result ever, you know, like we changed social behavior, you know, we started a movement, <laughs> um, which is very broad stroke, but I mean, it depends on the objective of the campaign, I suppose, whether it's engagement or reach or... Yeah. I've always loved the diversity of the judges because people look at it from different uh, perspectives. Mine is always to find an insight, you know, like uh, the corporate idea for uh, IKEA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is an insight that leads to the campaign being viral, the campaign being successful. So because the way the judges are set up, they look for different things. I think that's that's the core for great conversation. But for me, it's always to look for the insight that leads to a great idea. I mean, I'd like to know how much debate actually goes on in that room. I mean, you've got a lot of work to go through in a single day or two. I mean, I think that you guys were judging for two days yeah. with a good few hundred entries. How much space is there for debate and kind of which pieces were really discussed and, and kind of thrown about? There's a lot of debate. I think as you judge the work, and I think I love it that it's African work and work from the Middle East, because as you judge the work, you see the different causes and you see the different focuses of the different regions. So I found that uh, a lot of work over the years has been discussed whether it falls in digital or not. I think that's the major discussion that I, I saw. And the question is constantly asked, if digital didn't play a role, would the idea still live? Because I think for many agencies, they've got um, uh, this temptation of uh, taking an above-the-line idea and kind of rolling it out to digital. Um, Now, if you remove the digital, is the idea still as powerful? Because there's sometimes a very great above-the-line campaign that kind of has been adapted into digital. So I think isolating is it digital and is it digital at the core was the biggest Mm. conversation. uh, And is it pushing the innovation of the channel, you know? I think there was also this year, our panel specifically, there was a lot of healthy debate. There wasn't that, you know, who can shout loudest wins. Um, There was just a lot of perspectives put on the table and a lot of considerations, which is it's yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I think one of the comments that that we got from from Cabello in the previous episode uh, was about digital campaigns that was built for purpose you know it was fit for purpose it was built for instagram it wasn't a tv commercial is that something we you think that we as an industry in south africa still struggle with where we we just kind of you know take wallpaper and and, or, or image transfer stuff across onto channels i think we do but i think it's changing i think before 
digital was seen as almost like the poorer cousin of above the line. Now you can start seeing ideas that were born digital. And I think we're seeing more and more of that where the idea comes from a digital platform and maybe rolls out back into above the line. So it's a positive change, but I don't think we're really there yet. No, I think a lot more consideration needs to go into producing for the channels. So, I mean, like like you were saying, it's it's no longer an above the line that we just copy paste put you know Cavs are like to use a matching luggage yeah. <laughs> sentiment but you know I mean a lot of people think okay it's social it's digital a lot of our clients think okay it's, it's less budget we don't have to be as crafted where we should be we should be crafting and considering solely on a platform and then seeing where the idea lives from there yeah. yeah, Veli, you mentioned the Middle Eastern involvement, which is obviously something that's become part of the Luries over the last couple of years. From speaking to agencies, sometimes you maybe get the impression from some people that there's a sense of dominance that comes with the Middle East being involved. I'd love to know both of your guys' impression on, on the expanding of, of getting different stakeholders into something like the Luries and, and how you view that. Do you think it's a positive thing? And if so, sort of why? I think it's beautiful. I think people generally fear what they don't understand, uh, whether culturally, whether in language and stuff. So people, it's it's hard to say, but even creatives get into a comfort zone where they want to see work that they kind of understand culturally or socially. Uh, So I think it's a very good uh, uh, opportunity to see what other regions are doing. Uh, And and you look even in the rest of the continent, it's very different to South African work. And I think it gives us a perspective of what's happening in the rest of the the world, which is a positive for me. I also think we could use it as a learning. I mean, you know, at first when we saw work coming from the rest of the region, we were like, oh, you know, we're not going to understand it or we're not going to have context. But actually we can take it as a learning to see the ideas and actually resonate with them and go, okay, cool. So how do I take my idea and make it resonate with the rest of the world? I mean, you know, it works both ways. It's it's a good learning experience. Yeah, I think the, the, the question kind of evolved out of a, when, when the Middle East got integrated into the Luris, um, a lot of people felt that, you know, the likes of a Dubai agency, which is a regional hub, they've got a much stronger direct link to the client. Um, you know, you'll have certain brands where, where they originate the work, but in South Africa, we actually just repurpose and, and you know, build out on that. They also have bigger budget. Does that put us at a disadvantage? I don't think so. I think, I think the budget question, look, it's, it's relevant sometimes, but a simple idea like the IKEA carpet idea, there was no budget. I mean, it was literally a post. And if, if everyone is familiar with the IKEA work where they put uh, carpets uh, to protect cars from hail, and someone saw that and turned it into a post. So I think there are factors, and you, 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 you're right, but seeing how they treat ideas and opportunities like that doesn't really need a lot of budget, but insight. I think what they've managed uh, to teach us or to teach me uh, is cause-based uh, marketing where you see a cause and you and you run with it and brands are associated with that cause and yeah. that doesn't really need that much budget. What's your impression and this is something we've asked in every podcast and the answers have been I think quite valuable. If you look at award shows in general you tend to get dominance from the big agencies. Uh, smaller agencies obviously awards matter greatly and, and I think are very interested in well how do they maybe overcome that hurdle? How do we maybe turn that around? I mean, do you, do you see it as a problem? Um, and if you do, or if you don't, I mean, what, what, what could smaller agencies perhaps be doing differently? I mean, I've, I've worked for small agencies and, you know, we don't necessarily have as many pieces of work to enter as bigger agencies, but I think the opportunity comes in at looking at the different categories that you can enter. So, I mean, one idea could live in several categories. You just have to position it in that certain way. But yeah, I don't think it's, it's not necessarily like mass enter, um, more about like, okay, let's craft an idea and see where it 
it fits and where it could win and where our best opportunities are. I think it also boils down to client trust. Um, and, mm. and the reality is that clients trust bigger agencies with riskier ideas. I think if you're a smaller agency, already being at the table is risky. So everyone's kind of saying, you've got your seat at the table now, just you know, just do what you're here right. to do. Um, I mean, I think of that example of Burger King and the Wembley Stadium where they took the grass and planted uh, tomatoes to make a Wembley burger. Now, because it came from a big agency, I think any small agency coming with that left field idea would be like, no, just just sell burgers for now. Yeah. So I think the relationships in bigger agencies and clients are more trusted because they're more established. And I think when you're at the seat as a smaller agency, the clients fear making an even bigger uh, mistake that is even beyond appointing you, which is already risky for them. You it, know, should so, be, yeah. it should be more the other way around, it though. Should, I mean, but, yeah. <laughs> like big agencies like to use their reputation as a muscle, you know, where yeah. small agencies should be like, well, I'm the underdog, watch yeah. me. <laughs> Surely a small agency has a, a bigger incentive to, to be slightly more tactical and strategic to increase their share of voice on the table. I mean, isn't that an incentive for them? Yeah, but it's also linked to budget. I think uh, obviously the bigger agencies usually get uh, bigger budgets. So I think they get to the table being riskier. And I think as you grow, I mean, I've, I've grown my agency over the last seven years. And I think the caution, you, you know, they buy you for your, your type of thinking. But when you're at the table, they almost want to manage the risk around what they appointed you for in, in some cases. I think for me, which which is an interesting part of the question, is that if we are saying that there is more tactical opportunities per your example of the IKEA carpets thing, that does not require big budgets, and you could probably fly under the radar and say, client, let's just do this one thing small on the side. I beg the question why smaller agencies aren't doing more than that thing because there is very little risk involved in that. And I think it's also the structure of how how you behave when you are sitting the table with bigger clients, even from a small agency side, you know, are you there and you start trying to behave like a big agency and you start being as cautious or whatever. So I'm, I'm reading this amazing book by Ryan Holiday, Growth Hacker Marketing, which I think smaller agencies should apply because it's exactly to your point, smaller budgets, bigger impact. But I think the reality when you are sitting in these big boardrooms is that there's a risk element by just you yeah. sitting there. So they kind of say, you know, just, just take it easy for now. Yeah. <laughs> be cautious. Yeah, be cautious. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of your uh, fellow judges in your category, Camilla Clark, she was on the last podcast. We asked her the question, you know, why do people care about awards? And she said, well, who in advertising doesn't like a piece of metal? And I think that that's 100% accurate. But I think it is also worthwhile to ask the broader question to both of you, because you are in the position now where you bestowed with the ability to decide what wins. And why, in your opinions, is it, why should people care about winning Larry's? I think it's, um, you know, we all follow, we all have the same challenges, whether it's budgets or clients not being brave or being too brave. I don't know. Mm. But it's always good to know that, you know, your peers in the industry have said, you know, we understand what you've been through, what you've had to do to produce that piece of work and like, well done. I think there's that validation of like, we're all on this together and we all grow from each other and we're all learning. And, you know, one agency coming up with an amazing idea is just going to lead the next agency to the, a better idea. You know, we use ideas as foundations. It's what we're here to do. So, yeah, I mean, peer validation is, we're, we're fragile creatures. <laughs> we need validation. <laughs> I think what we do is, is pretty public. 
you know, it's, it's like you'd ask, why do we have soccer tournaments? Um, we showcase our skills and people cheer of the brilliance of, of what we do because uh, what we do is, is magic, you know, and, and I think that magic being shown to more people is beneficial for the category and it grows the category. I was speaking to a fellow jury member from, from Israel and he was complaining that they don't have awards shows. So the whole category is not lifting because no one is seeing that you're more skillful than the next person. So it's good for the industry. It's good for creatives and it's good for interest. I, I love seeing uh, younger people, the students come and attend because it's a showcase of how they can take this talent even further. It's very necessary and very important to showcase. And the metal looks nice at our offices as well. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic answer. So pretty. Did the, Israeli, did the Israeli guys say why they don't have awards? Uh, apparently a major agency network pulled out of the biggest uh, awards show and, and those got canned. Uh, and now they don't have one. He's he was saying they want to reestablish it and there's politics and stuff like that. So I, I think we discount how lucky we are to have a platform like the Luris, you know, um, to showcase our work, not only to each other, but the, wor with the world, you know. Having international outreach, president uh, lives in Australia, but is from New Zealand. Our work is now in Australia and New Zealand and, and all other parts of the world. Uh, there's guys from Germany and stuff like that. So we've got a chance to take our work to the world. And that's another added benefit mm. to the whole thing. Yeah. The IAB Benchmarking of Digital Excellence Series. How to win. This podcast is sponsored by Mark One. Mark One has taken it upon themselves to upskill and collaborate more closely with their clients and traditional agencies alike. This is because they believe in truly innovative integration that can only happen when everybody is speaking the same language. Check them out at mark1.co.za. Do you guys think that the, you know, looking at the body of work for the year, that we are on a global level? Are we competing? Definitely. I think like I, I, the level of craft this year was amazing. And I think that's something that we keep pushing. I think the space that we can play in is, is to push more on the innovation. Like, you know, push our ideas further, challenge um, our restrictions, challenge the channels that we play in. I think that's where we need to grow. But I think the craft, the ideas, the insights, I mean, we have amazing stories. We have amazing insights to, to work from. And I think we've, we're there. Just keep challenging and growing it. And just accepting our diversity. And I love the a City Lodge work because it was playing into those insights. There was that uh, Gynagod 12 Vaginas yes. uh, uh, work yeah. where we were playing with all our official uh, languages. And, and that is, I think we've come of age with accepting that because I think the work in previous years was trying to emulate and, and, and win internationally as almost being accepted as their type of narrative. Now, we can have a campaign that has vernacular, uh, that is brilliant, and that's not translated, but that is written for the medium and written in the language and you can you can feel that sense of ownership i think our time is now and the work was absolutely brilliant yeah i'm very glad you brought up that that uh, 12 vaginas just 12 vaginas campaign from from Ghana god i thought it well firstly i loved it and, and secondly i hated it and the reason <laughs> the reason that i loved it because i thought it was brilliant and the reason that i hated it was because we two-thirds of way through doing something very similar um, oh. so, so when you see that case study you go oh that's that's my whole campaign you know the worst thing to say now is at least you were on the right track yeah exactly but <laughs> but, but it, it begs an important question because I, I went through all the finalist list and, and I saw 
a good handful of pieces that that in my opinion has been done before now i know you guys get directed to say you know you can't say it's been done before but how much impact does it have yeah it has a huge impact i mean you're never going to look at a piece of work and go oh that's complete isolation of anything that's ever been done before because obviously we build on other ideas that have been made but i think it's to the point of of an idea taking inspiration from something and an idea blatantly copying it you know um so i think rather say nothing then (laughs) um but always like praise the work that has kind of pushed and and made something different and it's not really entirely accurate that uh, uh, you can't raise as a jury member that the work hasn't been done before. I think the intention is to raise it without influencing the other judges. Because if it really has been done before, you've got the best of breed on the table. Surely more than one will come and say actually in private to the jury president this has been done before. So I think it's made in an effort not to influence the others. And if it's really been done before, and people more than one person will know. And and I think it protects the work uh, because you don't also want to talk down the work. And again, if to Jackie's point, if it inspires, it's inspired by by something that that's cool. But if it's if a direct rip off that happened a few months ago, then that's a problem. And work, yeah, work, <laughs> work did get disqualified, uh, and 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 that's that's. It, but it's in respect of of the agencies, in respect of the people, to actually raise it privately. And I think yeah. it's it's etiquette. You know, it's a great answer. Uh, you know, Cabello made the point um, in the last podcast when we were talking about how to win awards practically, and he, he spoke about um, having a really good entry video as something that's crucial. In your opinions, what is what are the key components of a good entry video? Well, for me personally, it's it, you've got to make it simple, set the context, um, don't over embellish, don't sell an idea that is really average and make it seem like it's amazing. Like, let's be honest, let's be truthful, let's be proud of our work and respect it. Um, but I think just set context, make it simple, put everything on the table, um, and also make it stand out. I mean, we go through so many case films and it becomes monotonous. So you really have to find a little bit of a, a tone or a language to catch it attention. Um, make me notice your work, I suppose. And, and craft. I think that's important. We don't sell our idea. We kind of put the craft into the idea and then go, oh, award in, awards are coming up. <laughs> Five days. Let's put something together. You know, <laughs> like actually, you know, craft the case form. I remember words of my lecturer at Red and Yellow, uh, John Cooney, saying, don't polish a turd. Yeah. And I think people yeah. fall into that where we've, we've seen that this thing is not working. But you either put budget in the video and you're really trying to polish it to it and this thing is is, is, is now disgusting. Yeah, sometimes you see something and you're like, what did I just see? I don't even know what I'm judging here. It looks beautiful. Yeah, yeah because people fall into that where, uh, you know, you end up saying, okay, great, great production, you know, beautiful, engaging voiceover, but what is it? <laughs> you know, what, what does this all mean? So there's a certain simplicity that's kind of missing, I guess. It's all about simplicity, you know, mm. simplicity, being direct, um, and also being truthful. Um, um, I think a lot of uh, uh, the figures that we saw were kind of unrealistic, uh, and it affects the work, mm. you know, so just be truthful. You yeah. know, um, give us the the stats of how the work did. Yeah. <laughs> Not so, the imagined one. So on the on the stats part, I mean, this is something we discussed as as part of the kind of bookmarks kind of review. You know, is there a place at some point to go and standardize the metrics that we would accept as part of an entry? 
you know, so if you look at a specific category for social media to go, here are the 15 things that you're allowed to report on and we want to see validated numbers. Because quite frankly, you know, as, as you know, I'm a creative and if you give me four numbers, I can find a creative way to position that to make them seem a lot better than they potentially are. So is there a space at some point to go, actually, we need to standardize some of the formatting of entering? Yeah, I'm sure there is. I think, I don't know, it's almost formulaic. I think we already ticked those boxes. Um, I think we need to be a little bit more interesting <laughs> in, our, in our results without being embellishing or finding these ARB ways of going, you know, making my sweeping statement of changing the world with this one social post. Yeah, I think like what you said earlier about being, you know, the budgets, the media budgets of having impressions, but going, okay, this is actually the budget that went behind it yeah. um, so that you're not completely throwing everyone. I think it's relevant. I think the stats shouldn't be for the agency or the creatives that walked on the work to pat themselves and high five each other, but for the impact on what it did to the brand. Now, it, that is easier to quantify than we had 500% engagement. But what, what did it mean for the brand? I think there should be less about us, but more about what did those stats do in relation to either growth or whatever impact that is. So it's usually very difficult to standardize it because there's other factors like budget, like timing. So there's, there's so many other objectives. variables, objectives. <laughs> and and you to standardize it, you'd kind of need the same objectives. But I think if we just you know, take a deep breath and say, why are we telling this? Is it to walk around patting ourselves on the back? Or is there a real reason why we giving these numbers? And I think in that, we'll find a balance in, in why we are, we are, we are uh, providing these stats. I think people just like uh, seeing a big number on the screen, and it's not about that. You know, it's, I mean, it's an, obviously an honor to be a Larry's judge, and it's something you have to get asked to do. But I'd be interested to know from both of you what your impression on the value of that is. I mean, there must be it, it must be a remarkable insight into where the industry's at. It must be a way to take ideas back to your own field of work as well. I, I would think uh, above and beyond it just being a, a great status thing. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. It's it's always great to have like the best of breed around the table, and you learn from them as much as possible. Personally, I. I I start thinking like, okay, if I had to judge this, well, what would I do? And I start judging my own work and I start thinking like, how do I position this? Oh no, I'm going to be like, chuck that out because that's unrealistic. But it's always good to see the different opinions and how, like you said earlier, like the different thought process, what people, different judges take from different pieces of work and how they validate that work. Um, it's interesting. It's just, it's broadening your viewpoint. I'm obsessed about call-ups. I was a rugby player. And, <laughs> and like anything that you called up to with the best in your category or your, or your industry, you know, it fascinates me. So it's an opportunity to sit with the best minds of different backgrounds, of different geographic regions, and actually talk about what you love, your work. And that's, it's, it's the biggest honor <laughs> to do that. Because it's saying all those people that are sitting there are handpicked and selected for a particular reason. And you spend a few days just, you know, isolating those reasons. And as you uncover why they're sitting on that chair, it's just, it's just beautiful. And the conversations after, it's just beautiful to get into people's minds. For me, it's a call-up, you know, and, and, and it, I treat it with the honor of a call-up. You know. And any creative just loves sitting and talking about ideas. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I love it. And now you get to know people you respect. It's just amazing. <laughs> 
But back on the actual uh, kind of judging thing, I mean, I always equated judging uh, to to that scene from Clockwork Orange where they spike your eyes open and they blast you with, you know, happy visuals. That's for very it. much what it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Lots of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of chocolate. What, what I have really enjoyed about the Luris um, in the last couple of years is, is, is the entry boards. Um, and we were privileged enough to walk through the, the hallowed walls of judging mm. uh, or rooms of judging on, on Monday at Judging Week. And quite often you, you, you see those boards stuck up, uh, you know, so that all the judges can look at them and discuss them. Mm. In digital, how much do those boards actually play a role? Because for me, they're quite powerful, but I don't know how much impact they actually made in the, in the judging process themselves and how much effort needs to go into crafting those as well as your two-minute entry video. I think a lot of effort needs to go into it because, I mean, you'll see a case film, but you also want to have, while you're thinking about it and processing and considering and discussing, have one board that has everything you need, all those critical points, the, the idea, the insights, the results, so that you have everything you need to make the best decision because you can't just keep watching the case film, <laughs> otherwise we'd never get anywhere. Strategists would love me, to all the strategists listening to this. It puts structure you know, to the idea, you know, the video is, is, is confirming that structure. But I think when you put a board together, you have to think of the different processes and you ask yourselves a lot of questions. makes it easier for the judges, but I think it even makes it easier for the people putting together. And hopefully they use those boards to inspire the videos because the videos are just showcasing what the practicality of what the idea did. So they're very, very important. Yeah. I mean, one of the interesting uh, discussion points that I had with someone uh, post one of the po previous podcast episodes was is there still merit in doing the videos because they just become kind of emotive bats to hit the jury with you know rather than you go this is the actual work nothing emotive around it and here's the board explaining it and the judge needs to view it in the context of of how it flighted not with an emotive narrative thing because it sways the jury away from what it might have been look i i, I also i also love uh, uh, the performance. Uh, I usually am the one that refuses to send clients a PowerPoint. I want to be in the room. And I think that's part of our craft, you know, and it puts a responsibility on the judges to see through it and, and say, okay, this is, this is good. This is entertaining, but is the idea there? Then that's why we said with Jack at the beginning, you find uh, wonderful productions and the theatrics and the production value is beautiful, but the idea is not there. So I think it's beautiful because it challenges the, idea, uh, the, the judges to look through the clutter, you know, and say, okay, after all this two minutes of brilliant production, what is the idea? So, so that, that becomes very important. Yeah, I want you to take me on the journey, yeah. you know, set the scene, like create that theater. That's, yeah. that's what I thrive on. And I think, yeah, I'm, Hopefully we'll see past any glitter if there is a big turd waiting. <laughs> I'm sure you guys saw this, but I, I think they won gold for it. But Nando's had this ad campaign where basically they were trying to point out the fact that we can get quite homogenized as a creative industry. So in in the ad, they go and they look at what the big tropes of the day are, right? The kind of and and they they, they made fun of that to basically say that their chicken has more flavors, South Africa has more flavors. We can be and should be more diverse in terms of our creative thinking. I would imagine that you do pick up certain trends when you judge, that you, you can say that, that you know, these things are perhaps overdone in the industry. And with regards to you know, your own personal relationships with clients and those kind of things, do you think there's certain things you can say are now played out? And also in terms of that, I mean, what's the general state of the industry when it comes to diversity of ideas? 
Well, I think that take this the, one. <laughs> the diversity of ideas come from a transformed and diverse industry. Uh, and, and myself and my agency, Avatar, we've been pushing and at the forefront of saying, you know, transformation is not uh, this thing that uh, doesn't have value in the industry. I usually say, you know, if you're making another product, it's cool. But for us, it's very important because the diverse views in that room actually affect our product. So it's it's very good to see vernacular work win. It's very good to see the city lodges of this world right in vernac first. So I think what is played out is the previous generation of work that is translated into different languages where the insight is weak, you know. So diversity becomes very important for us because it affects the work. Transformation is very important for us because it affects the work. And diversity in older people, in younger people, in straight people, in gay people, everyone around the table needs to add to the work. And the more different the room looks, the better the work is. No, yeah, absolutely. But I think what I mean is, you know, you, you kind of get these buzzwords that become really popular. Not, not in terms of transformation oh. in, the, in the societal sense. Um, I mean, diversity of ideas in terms of like, certain things become really popular and then at some point get played out right in the in the, with the economy of ideas is so, there yeah i mean when you when you have your know, ideas are, are stem from insights and insights come from what's happening culturally what's happening whether socially or politically and it's always interesting to see like i think last year I felt as a woman, there was a lot of female empowerment ideas. And I was like, oh, okay, there's the trend. We're all jumping on the, let's empower women. And I, it kind of infuriated me a little bit, but that was where everything was going. It was like that transformation at the time. And like, you know, I think a couple of years back, everyone started doing the ideas that started changing and we're, we're making causes, we're jumping on the causes. And, you know, like I, this year, I didn't really pick up too much of a, a theme per se, but I did see like channel-wise specifically everyone was jumping onto Instagram. <laughs> like yeah. we were like, wow, okay, Instagram is the place to play now. So Insta stories. Insta stories. <laughs> if it's not on Insta stories, it didn't happen, guys. <laughs> like <laughs> I think we're battling a, a bit to chase the cool, you know. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, and the cool is now live and the cool is current. The cool is happening now and you don't have another season. And I found that a lot of agencies are still chasing last year's cool. Uh, because if someone has done research and, and now given them that this is cool. But the cool is moving so much faster that catching up with the cool is becoming a bit uh, tiring for agencies and, and creatives in general. And also, uh, there seems to be this confusion on how to use influences or where to use influences. And, it's, and sometimes it manifests them, themselves as just being put there weirdly. And I think the Edgar's work did amazingly in saying, okay, here's Shoma Josie, this is how you use an influencer. Because sometimes the influencer seems like an afterthought or they're just weirdly placed where you're like, what are they doing here? And, and, you know, I know they've got a lot of followers, but it's how we use people with influence as part of the idea rather than using them for a tweet later so that, you know, we can get more followers or whatever. Yeah, it almost <laughs> feels like, you know, people aren't going to believe us. Yeah, Let's yeah. give it to people, you know, who are believable, like the influencers, yeah, you know, yeah. they'll listen to them. Mm. Where, I don't know, people are seeing through it. Yeah, and I mean, people are more advanced. I think the fact that people know that they're getting influenced, they're more aware of it, you know, and, and I think the brands that haven't caught up are still using influencers in the wrong way. And some of them are just misaligned. And that's why I loved the bit of a jab from the Nando 
Windows and the cooling channel. That was really oh, funny right, for yeah. me. <laughs> you know, but it's the use of influencers, I don't think we're quite there, and I think we're losing the battle a bit because uh, what they're supposed to be used for, I think some brands are not using uh, them for the right purpose. So you're saying they're using them for reach instead of for what they stand for? Yeah, I mean, they, 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 need, they need to fit the idea. They, they, they can't just be a plug on to the idea because they've got reach, because then that looks odd. You, yeah, you know, but them like a media platform. Yeah. Like how much for how many days? Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can kind of see the negotiation, you know, and, and, and people don't go into the brand values. And that's why I like the Shoma Josie Edgar's example, because it wasn't forced. Mm. You know, it made sense. She would do that. She's in the culture. And they gave her a range. There was a brand extension. It was beautifully thought out rather than oh she's cool she tweets a lot she's got a lot of followers let's go for her and it's weird right because I mean that's basic marketing the idea that this is qualitative a lot of the time yeah. and it has to be authentic if, if it's not it's just not going to land Derek Watts mustn't sell me golf balls not that he does but I'm just that you know it's it's a weird well, I could believe that uh, <laughs> maybe that's not the I best example golf yeah. balls from Derek <laughs> <laughs> I don't even play golf if you do that just credit him on the entry <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, I think the ultimate gatekeepers for our work is the clients. And in my time when I judged Luris, we, we were quite cognizant of the message we were trying to send clients in terms of what work they should be buying. Because clients also want to win awards to a certain extent. But when it comes to the day-to-day realities, there's a lot of fear and numbers and stuff that they care about. How do we get clients to subscribe to, to award-winning thinking? Because award-winning thinking ultimately is going to be more scary than not. How do we do that with our clients? Sure. A lot of hand-holding, a lot of trust, and a lot of <laughs> let's fail together or let's win together. I think it's, it, we can kind of get sucked into that. Have we done it before? You know, how, has it worked? How successful is it? I mean, you know, we're, we're doing this for our clients who ultimately need to sell products, make money. If they don't, we don't make money. Um, and I, I think it just takes a lot of failing together, you know, and understanding like you know, we want to be braver. We need to be pushing. We need to be innovating. And that doesn't necessarily mean going, okay, well, you know, is this going to work? Uh, you know, it's, it's going like, oh, this might fail horrendously, but we'll pick it up and we'll learn and we'll keep going. You know, we're in it together. I think it's a partnership. Mm. I think also <clears throat> it's very important for creatives to understand that they're not in a bubble. They live in an economy. They live in a, in a reality that a lot of our clients are going through. Um, so for me, um, the most important thing is that how do we use our, creative, our, our creativity to uh, effect change, to understand the client is in trouble, because a lot of clients are in trouble. So instead of having just work and blowing the budget, how has what you've given me led to better results? You know, creatives need to start looking at that. They need to look at the share price of their clients. You know, they, they need to read business day to see what their clients are doing because marketing departments are not in isolation. They report to boards and more so they're getting questioned, you know. So the only way out for creatives is to link, and I know it's a swear word for most creatives, but it's, it's to link how effective is your creativity in helping the client out of very sticky situations, especially with the economy that we have at the moment? Happy. Yeah. Happy. Guys, thank you, man. We really appreciate your insights. And I think this is going to be a super valuable tool for the industry. So thank you for coming on and I doing so. this. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. <laughs> Today's podcast was brought to you by Mark One. The focus for Mark One has been building more consumer-centric creative that uses insightful user data to make more relevant experiences. 
The common thread at Mark One is people, the people making the ads, serving the ads, and most importantly, the people seeing the ads. And it is all because Mark One believes in digital marketing for humans. Check them out at markone.co.za. If you want to continue the conversation, you can head off to Twitter and find us on at digital underscore wins. Hi, I'm Paula Halley, CEO of the Interactive Advertising Bureau South Africa. And this is the IABSA podcast, where we share smart, actionable, and motivating insights from today's foremost digital leaders to help you make better digital decisions through our connected culture and access to experts and expertise, both from across our local network of over 150 member companies, including agencies, brands, publishers, education, and technical specialists, as well as our IAB global network in 47 countries around the world. We hope the conversations and stories you hear help you build best business practice and transform your digital marketing. In our first series, we are speaking about benchmarking digital excellence. Our launch episode looks at insights on how to win in digital, starting off with our very own Bookmark Awards as the benchmark for digital excellence.